move this forward. Thank you. I'd like to be like Ezra this morning, standing on a platform of wood or a pulpit of wood, but I find myself sitting on this seat of mobility. Thank you. Yeah. Romans chapter 11. I have glasses. I do. And if I don't have them, I'm lost. Where? Oh, where did my glasses go? Well, they'll do. I know they're here somewhere. Thank you. Romans chapter 11. We have a few readers, and we are... Of course, we had Romans chapter 9 and 10 in the past two weeks, and we come here this morning to chapter 11. We'll work under this title... We've gone through Romans thus far with the righteousness outline, and we come to this section now in Romans chapter 11, where the righteousness, the gospel, which is the righteousness of God to salvation, has been rejected by Israel. Sometimes, you know, we might say, what do I, what, what is the concern that I have about the nation of Israel? Well, you know, we'll get into this as we move along, but when we consider the, the, the wonder that God used the nation of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, chapter 9, to bring in this the, the Messiah to convey this gospel, the best, the best message the world could ever have or know. Why did Israel as a nation reject? That really bothered Paul. Remember, he was, he could wish that he could be accursed. Why weren't they coming? Well, we're coming now to chapter 11 and we're going to, uh, see a lot of things as he closes out his concern and he closes out with a doxology. (laughs) Oh, the depth of the riches, right? Both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. You know, it was quite concerning for him as he thought it through, but he's reasoning, why is it that my people won't come to their Messiah? To this day, it's like that. But anyway, we'll be getting to that. So let's read through it. Uh, Enod, now if... uh, uh, the microphone folk can can get the uh, mic here on. He's going to read for us chapter 11, verse 1 through 12. And then Daniel, where where is Daniel? Yes, there he is. Chapter 13 through 24. And then Isaac will read thir- 25 through 36. I say, I say then, God has rejected his people, God forbid, for I am also an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, for the tribe of Benjamin, God has not rejected his people, whom he foreknew, do you not know of the scripture, of what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads, he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and destroyed your altars, I alone, I alone, I am left, and they seek my life. But what is the divine reply to him? I have kept for my kept for myself seven thousand men, for I have not bowed the knee to bow. So then, then at this present time, there is a, a remainment according according to the election of grace. And if by grace 
then it, is, then it is no longer by works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. But if it was by works, then it is no longer by grace. Otherwise, works would no longer be work. Then what then? Israel has not obtained what it is seeking, but the elect, but the elect obtained it, and the rest was were hardened. As it is written, God has given the scripture. God has given them a spirit of slumber, eyes that would not see, and ears that would not hear. To this very day, and David says, "Let their table be a snare, and a trap, and a, a trap, a stumbling block, a retribution to them." Let the eyes be darkened so that they may not see, and always bow down to their backs. I say then, they have stumbled, that they sh that they should fall. God forbid, for though their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgressions mean riches to the world, and their failures mean riches to the Gentiles, how much more will their f fullness mean? Thank you, Enold. Okay, Daniel Ducanus, verse 13 through 24. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Thank you, Daniel. Isaac Gill is going to come up now and read us the, uh, this is, the, by the way, this is the longest chapter in the Bible. I, and in Romans, I'm just not the Bible. In, in Romans, 36 verses. So uh, Daniel, go ahead. I mean, Isaac, go ahead and read verse 25 through 36. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish uh, ungodliness from Jacob and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins as regards the gospel they are the enemies of God for your sake but as regards uh, election they are beloved that they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable 
For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they have too, so they too now have been disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you they also may now receive mercy. For God, have con- for God has consigned to all his, to all disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his, ju- are his judgments and how um, inscru- inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For him... For, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Isaac. Okay, we can move on, advance to the next slide. Righteousness is the key word we've been working off of in Romans. And we, if we're ever going to be in the presence of God and in God's heaven, we're going to need God's righteousness, not ours. And that's what the gospel is. Why is Israel rejecting it? Well, we're going to learn uh, a little bit more and close out this section this morning. We're going to find out that God, yes, uh, Israel has rejected this righteousness, but God has not cast them off. Now, let's go on to the next slide. Uh, That's what we looked at in the past in Romans 9 and 10. Now, I know that uh, when we come to any part of the Bible... Uh, and, and, you know, outlines are helpful, very helpful. And I did, this is not mine, but I found it to be very helpful because this is a hard chapter to understand. Peter said of Paul, he wrote some things hard to be understood. And reading through this, I don't, I think we can understand there's some hard things to understand here. And I don't profess to have all the answers, but I, I do know that each of us as children of God are responsible before the Spirit of God to come and gain an understanding. We don't have to leave it up to the preacher or teacher. We, we all have the Holy Spirit of God to guide us. But I found this to be very, very helpful. So we'll just look at it, and you can you can as we I'll just read the 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 uh, the titles there, but you can look at your own Bible and see this: the perplexity has God cast away Israel? That's verse one through six. Paul is wondering, right, and bringing it to you, and bringing it to me. Is there something wrong here? No. Okay, I, I hear a feedback. The punishment of Israel because they've rejected what happened to them. There's a hardening. We're going to find that out. The privileges that came from Israel. Well, they've rejected it. But now what happened? Is there anything that came from that? Yes, praise the Lord, there is. Then there's a parable or or an illustration involving Israel. Later in verse 16 through 24, uh, we just read. And then there's a promise for Israel. All Israel shall be saved. Somebody quoted, one of the children quoted that. And we'll look at that, I hope, if we have time. And then there's praise in Israel. So, why isn't Israel saved. We're talking them nationally as a nation. Why isn't Israel saved? Why, if God, chapter 9, why if God chose them as the vehicle through whom the Messiah would come and present the message of salvation, why did his own people not receive it? Now, we looked last week, Jamel covered for us chapter 10. 
right? And chapter 10, we, we ends with God pleading with Israel, like as if he could touch him. He said, you know, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient, rebellious people, and you would not come. It's not just in Romans, it's in the Gospels too, but all day long, right? God would have them saved. God is not willing that any should perish, but they would not come. But chapter 10 ends with that, right? And and it also talks about, if you care to look at it, we'll just look at a few because of time's sake, reasons why they, Israel, were not saved, or as Jamel pointed out to us, why any person is not saved, not just the Jew. That's the, that's the thrust of the passage. Why the Jew? Why Israel as a nation is not saved? But we can apply this uh, to any person that, that does not know the Savior uh, personally. First of all, in, in chapter 10, verse number 3, what does it say? They, being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, They said they have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. So the first reason is they would not come God's way. They would not come God's way. They thought they were good enough in their own. They went on with their religion. You remember Paul said he was advanced in the Jews' religion in Galatians. Well, they wouldn't submit to God's way of salvation. I have a question. Do you think it's possible to be religious but not right with God? Oh, yeah. It's possible to be religious, but not right with God. Oh, sure. Not only for the Jew, but across the board, right? I can be religious and have no relationship whatsoever with God. I can go about the ritual and all that, just like they did, and and, and so many do. I have no righteousness in myself. When I say religion, I'm talking not just the Jew's religion, but man's attempt to get access to God. That, that, it, it, you know, we have religion. All human beings are intrinsically religious, I believe, but not right with God. No righteousness in me is found except upon redemption ground. I have no righteousness. We looked at that in Romans chapter 3, right? There is none righteous. No, not one. Uh, no, none righteous. No, not one. But the world is full of religions, Right? Isms, all the isms, Catholicism, Mormonism, Mohammedism, you know, here in ism, there in ism, everywhere in ismism. One of these days, the isms, somebody aptly said, are going to come wasms, right? They're going to all be behind us. And in fact, all the isms are going to be wrapped up in ecumenism. And guess what's going to happen with ecumenism? Revelation chapter 17 and 18. They're going to be destroyed. The great harlot that sought to bring people, turn people from the, in religion, turn them away from the living God. It's going to be destroyed. And you know what? That's the first time you read hallelujah in the New Testament. Hallelujah! The great harlot is destroyed. Anyway, that's what's going to happen to the isms. They're going to become one religion, ecumenism. All the isms, that they're going to become wasms, are going to be tied up with one man, you know, and be destroyed. But, but, but you know, somehow we get, we get wrapped up in that, Right? You know, there's three common plans. For, I have always looked at it this way, for, for, for eternal destiny. I have the parish plan, I have the preacher plan, and I have the personal plan. You've met people like that. Oh, my church, the parish plan. That's what my church is. I was born in this church. I will die in this church. Whether or not they're, they're believers or not. Then they have the preacher plan. Well, my preacher says this. 
And my preacher says that. And I'll die by my preacher, whether or not the preacher knows the Lord or not. And then my personal plan. You know, this is what I think. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man in the end thereof are the ways of death. You know, it's better to go with a purely divine plan that's revealed here in the Word of God. And reason number two, they said salvation is uncertain. Uh, verse 6, uh, chapter 10, verse 6. The righteousness which is of things uh, speakers on this side. What do they say? Who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down? How many times have you witnessed this somebody and they say, you know, you really can't know till you get to heaven if you're going to be saved. God's going to put you on that great scale, you know. You, you just can't know. You must go up and find out. You must ascend to heaven. None of us can really know, can we? Oh, yes, we can. Because why? We, we know the one that has ascended. He's descended. No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. So praise the Lord. We have the message from him that descended from heaven. We don't have to wait. We can know now. The one that ascended, descended, and brought us the message. He that hears my word believes on him that sent me has everlasting life. The judge has already spoken. And then, we, well, we won't use them all, but the, 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 uh, it, verse 17, we looked at that last week. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You know, I hear it, but I can't believe it. I hear it, but I, it, hearing with the ears is not enough. We must hear with the heart. And, 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 and he that is willing to do his will, said the Lord Jesus, will know if the truth, the truth is of me. The, 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 the sad fact is there are many a person who hears but does not respond. They, they hear it, but they don't come you, and, and believe personally. When the Lord said those words in John 7 to the Jews, if anyone is wills to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking of myself. There's got to be a willingness. What's the problem? Unbelief. Unbelief. It's like me. I'd say I, I come to meet uh, this brother here on the front, and I say, what's, uh, hi, my name is Malcolm. What's your name? Enoch. Enoch. My name's Enoch. I can't believe that. Let me pray about that. Let me go ask the Lord. Let me, I pray for faith. I believe your name is Enoch. What kind of foolishness is that? I can't trust him? That he tells me his name is Enoch? Yes, I can. But people do that with God all the time, don't they? Try living with somebody you don't trust or believe in your home. But people do that all the time, don't they? I wish I had the faith like you. I just heard a person that probably many of us here know. I've known him for a number of years. He's been exposed to the gospel since childhood. And he called a, a, a dear brother just the other day, and he seemed to be really exercised about his soul. I've prayed the sinner's prayer a hundred times. I want that. I want that sign from heaven. What do you want a sign from heaven? God has spoken. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. God said it. I believe it. That settles it, right? So somehow we have the capacity to, to shut God out. I don't believe your name is God. I don't believe your name is Enoch. That's silly. That's an excuse, really. But that's what happens. That's what happens. Lastly, God wouldn't save me. Uh, in, in verse number 21, you know, some people use this excuse. God didn't choose them for salvation. God didn't choose me. That's, that's, that's a farce. Is God mocking when he says, all day long, I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient, rebellious people. What a slander. Anyway, let's get into our, our that's the excuses that people use and the reasons. The perplexity or the, there's an uncertainty in his mind or, and, and in many minds or confusion. Why isn't Israel saved? Did God cast away the nation of Israel? No. 
that God did not cast. They have a place in the providence and plans of God. Now, it's a, it's a fact. Gentiles, as a people, are coming to the Savior. Remember Acts 13? You judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life as he's in the synagogue. I'm going to turn to the Gentiles, said Paul. And next, the next Sunday, the whole, the whole, uh, the next meeting time, the whole city came out to meet. So, yes, Gentiles are coming into this blessing of salvation. You can turn that, uh, forward that to the next thing. We believe Gentiles are coming. Gentiles are coming into this, to, to, to the one that came unto his own and his own did not receive him. But Gentiles, if you're here this morning, you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, right? And blessed be God. Uh, for those that have come. But Israel's not cast off as a nation. No, no. Listen, the permanence of the nation of Israel is illustrated uh, by the Lord from the fixed arrangements in nature. Listen to this. The prophet Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances, ordinances depart from me, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. If heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. But that'll never happen. Israel is not cast off. The permanence of the nation is illustrated there. And Jeremiah, from the fixed arrangements in nature, they are not cast off. Says Paul, I'm a Jew. I'm here. Says the Lord, look what I did in Elijah's day. Now, he uses an example. We'd have to go back to the Old Testament. It is a beautiful story. We, we won't have time to look at it all, but a beautiful story. It, it, if we went back to 1 Kings 18 and 19, in Elijah's day, that's who the reference is, right? Elijah, in our, in our verses there, that the nation came near as near total apostasy as they ever have, turning away from their God. And, and, and it, it was the, the lowest they've ever got. And it, it says in verse 2, Elijah pleaded against them. From Elijah's point of view, all was lost. But what does the scripture say? A faithful remnant remained. Verse 5 of your chapter 11. Uh, a remnant according to the election of grace. A remnant according to God's gracious choice. Now, I want to zero in on that in a few minutes. Won't do it right now, but we'll, we plan to do that. Okay, uh, the next slide. Uh, the punishment of Israel. Now, because as a nation they have turned away, there was this, a judicial hardening. Verse 25 calls it a hardening. Verse 7, why didn't they receive what they sought? Because they refused to receive God's truth. We saw that in chapter 9. We see that in the Gospels. Listen, the Lord Jesus was standing right before a religious group. And he, he told them, search the scriptures, they testify of me, and you won't come to me that you might have life. It's all over the word of God. So what, what happens as with they of the nation have turned from the living God punishment. Grace deserted them because they were trusting in their works and they were left to a judicial hardening or a blindness. 
And then it speaks of their table. We won't take time. If we can, we'll come back to this. But that which should have been a blessing to them uh, or a source of nourishment, nourishment for them became the occasion for their rejection of God. And then the uh, other phrases are mentioned there. We won't take the time right now, but we'll look at it if we have time later. Now, listen to this. There's no question that the national rejection of Christ has brought untold miseries from age to age on the nation. If you know anything about history at all, which I know very little, but you look back into the history books and you see the Holocaust. Why did God allow six million plus Jews to, to, to die in such a horrible way? You look today, even today, I, I don't watch the news that much, but anti-Semitism on the rise, right? Why? Why? Right? From age to age and from what is written on the pages of Scripture, we know it's not going to stop because the Great Tribulation is coming ahead. And the blinded majority have tasted that judicial hardening, which was forewarned by the prophets. But... Let's forward that to the next slide. That does not stop the individual Jew from reading and responding to the scriptures and turning to the Messiah. Yes, they have been blinded or hardened. The nation of Israel blinded or hardened as a nation, as a people group. But the individual Jew just like the individual Gentile is able to come by faith to the to the savior. We have a number of resources around here from time to time. One is Friends of Israel. Brother Steve Herzig has not been with us in a while, but he's from the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, and he wrote a little tract. I knew that, or did I? He was brought up in Orthodox Judaism in a Hebrew family, and he thought he knew what the Scriptures were saying, but then he was introduced to the Savior, the Messiah, and he turned, and he, I think he uses the term a complete Jew. He turned to the Savior. Yes, there are individual Jews turning from the wrath of God and crossing that bridge, exchanging wrath for mercy. There's this website called One for Israel. Beautiful testimonies of many uh, of the Jewish folk that have understood by faith, like Paul, like Saul of Tarsus, coming to faith. And, and who are you, Lord? Right? They've recognized who the living God is in the person of Jesus Christ. So it doesn't stop the individual. You can forward that to the next um, slide. We'll go back to the privileges from Israel. Did, verse 11, did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. Now, they were disobedient. So what came from that? Here's the privilege. God made salvation available to the Gentiles. He wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Next slide. You see, the, 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 there was a purpose in this. God had a purpose. What? All these that are outside of the commonwealth of Israel are coming to the Savior? What does it say? He said he wanted them to make them jealous. In this sense, the fall of the Jews has meant the riches for the world, and Israel's loss has become the Gentiles' gain. Privileges from Israel. You see it? You see it? Privileges from Israel. Yes, as a nation, they've turned no to Jesus. No. I had a, well, years ago, we had a, still have a, a, a neighbor. No matter, and said to me, no matter what you say, he's a Jewish man. I will not believe in your Jesus. Okay. But praise the Lord for those that do. Praise the Lord for those that do. 
And Paul says in verse 13, uh, as he was an apostle to the Gentiles. It was quite natural for him to speak this way because uh, he was fulfilling his ministry. Paul sought by means to, prov- to provoke to jealousy those who were his own people, his own countrymen. So he might be used to save some of them, it says. Now, of course, we know he couldn't save anyone. But the God of salvation identifies himself so closely with his servants that he permits them to speak of their doing only what he can do. In fact, Paul called in the the gospel earlier at chapter 2, is it? My gospel. So he wanted with all his heart to see his people saved. And then there's the parable in verse 16. There's the, the next slide. The parable involving Israel. Now, what is brought forward here is two metaphors, the first fruit and the lump, the root and the branches. If we have time, we'll come back to this because I want to get to that uh, subject that we spoke about in the first point of the outline. Uh, And there's many, many valuable lessons we can learn from this. uh, And I trust as we uh, move on in our small groups tonight, we'll be able to, some of this will, will come out, but we could... Uh, bring them out later as well. The parable or the illustration involving Israel. And then there's the promise for Israel. And in verse number 25, uh, starting in verse number 25, there is a future. There is a future for the nation of Israel. Blessed be his name. You know, there's, there's a, there's a, uh, it, it, pay any attention to the to the Christian world today. There, there's this doctrine out there they call replacement theology, as if the church replaced Israel. No, no, that's not true. But there, God does have a future for Israel. Blessed be His name, and all Israel will be saved. All Israel will be saved. And I just want to just say one thing about that, since it was quoted in our presence, and I've always wondered about that. And maybe you have too. All Israel will be saved. I understand that, that he means all believing Israel. Notice verse 26. This is what Isaiah referred to when he spoke of the Redeemer. Coming to Zion and turning transgression away from, from Jacob. That's from Isaiah 59. So all Israel, in the sense, as I understand it, all believing Israel. That's Israel's hope. Not America, not the United Nations. Only uh, the Lord is the hope for them. So really, you know, the it, it, in the promise for Israel uh, that, that eventually they will be, what's the trouble? Why don't they come now? Well, it seems to me what the difficulty is, is you can't save anybody until they have come to see themselves as sinners, to see themselves as unbelievers and disobedient. You can't. Israel won't come there yet as a nation. As a, as a whole, they cling to their own righteousness and, and, and believe that because there is one God, they, they, they see themselves like a believer, like Saul. If you'd have went to Saul of Tarsus before he was confronted with the person of Christ, oh, I'm a believer. Oh, yeah, I believe God. But he certainly wasn't born again, was he? Right? Uh, and so we can uh, thank the Lord for that. Lastly, the praise in Israel. Having traced the righteousness and mercy of God with Jew and Gentile throughout the whole letter, the apostle finds himself now in a position of indebtedness. He cannot contain himself. All the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom wisdom and knowledge of God. God's ways and dealings are beyond, beyond all human 
uh, God's ways and dealings are beyond all human reasonings. That's what he says later in the I, I, prophet Isaiah. My thoughts are not your ways. Your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, right? When, but when his ways are revealed to us, oh boy, we do like Paul. We, can, we bow and worship. And he gives this remarkable doxology uh, at the end of the uh, verse starting at the end of the chapter starting in verse 33 in fact there's four doxologies in Romans this is the third and we may have time to look at that just wanted to back up now to the perplexity that that point there in the few minutes we have left because there's a uh, it, it regards to that phrase it's regarding the phrase in verse number five even so, at this present time, also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. <clears throat> election is taught in the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament. And we're going to expand on that a little bit. <clears throat> Look what I did in, in Elijah's day, says the Lord. Re- that's what he's referring to, right? A remnant. A faithful few remain, verse 5, a remnant according to the election of grace, a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Now, as I understand it, this verse is a commentary. Commentaries are a wonderful thing that we can read, you know, but this is a New Testament commentary on an Old Testament verse, right? Neither the word election or grace is used in the Old Testament in this story. Here's what the Lord said in 1 Kings 19. This is a story he's referring to. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. The Lord said here, he preserved to himself a remnant. Now, Paul's going to elaborate on that. And he calls the remnant an election of grace. An election of grace. Now, Here's how I understand this, and I trust it will be of help to you. Here is, and I'm going to expand on this, an election within an election. I know you say, what in the world is this guy talking about? First of all, the first appearance of the word election is in nine chapter, chapter 9, verse 11. And I think there it has to do with the elect nation. God chose a specific nation, a specific line to whom God's promised Messiah would come. That's what that is dealing with. Now in chapter 11, here in verse 5 through 7, the word election is mentioned three times. It's an election according to grace. The election in chapter 9 is, 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 is the God electing the nation to bring in the Messiah. And here uh, in, 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 in chapter 11 it's different now when he he he's the election in chapter 9 is the specific line that would bring in and bear witness to god's messiah and they would bear witness that was the the idea that as the messiah came in that people would bear witness to, to him of, to all around of god's salvation now not everyone did in that elect nation not everybody testified of this wonderful Messiah. Many individuals within the elect nation, think about this, many within the elect nation refused to follow the living God. 
All we'd have to do is look at Mount Carmel. That's the, that's the, the lesson from 1 Kings 18 and 19. But here, and we're going to elaborate on that in a minute. Here is an election within that election according to grace that would do that. They would do what they were called to do. God graciously saved those who chose to believe and follow him. The election that he's speaking about here, that God chose to bring in the Messiah, that line that God specifically chose for this purpose to, to testify of Messiah to the world, out of that election would come this election by grace to further the wonderful testimony. Here is an election specifically, specifically preserved by God's grace as a testimony. Now, think about this, an election of grace. Does grace imply coercion, strong-arming, constraining, as they would say in the theological world, irresistible? Did God force himself upon this faithful remnant? Now, it appears to me, if we had time to go back to look at the story in 1 Kings 18 and 19, what I understand this to mean is God granted opportunities by his grace to give them opportunity to hear and understand and receive his word by faith. So, it seems that here is a remnant, a, 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 a people group that exists not because of their works, but because of God's grace. Listen to this. Let's consider this in the story. In the example given in that story of Elijah's day, is that remnant totally passive? They just sit there like puppets waiting to be pulled. Kind of elected without choice. Is that it? God said he preserved 7,000. Who were they? Listen to what God says. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. God punished those, if we look back at the story, who did not trust in the Lord at Mount Carmel, but he preserved as his remnant those who did trust in him. God punished those who did not trust in the Lord, but he preserved as his remnant those who did trust in him. And I conclude from that <clears throat> that it would seem, it seems to me, if you will, God's criteria for determining who to punish and who to preserve was whether the individual was trusting Baal or trusting the Lord. Now, why do I say that? Because I read the Bible. Elijah comes to this people group at this, at this showdown, and he asks them a question. How long are you going to halt between two opinions? How long are you going to waver? You're going to hesitate. You're, 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 uh, how long are you going to do this? You're going to struggle between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. How long are you going to balance on the fence? Well, this elect remnant that was preserved, this election within the election chose to believe the Lord. 
How long will you hesitate? He put this to all the sinners that were there. They displayed by their choice. They showed their faith in him. And their faith was credited as righteousness. If we use Romans chapter 4, we'll go back to that in a minute. Listen, God was not under obligation to save any of them. They were all sinners. The whole lot. That was the lowest the nation had ever gotten. They they so apostatized and turned from the living God. They weren't innocent. They didn't deserve God's grace. And works don't merit or cause their preservation. God's grace made a way for them to not receive the punishment that they deserved. And they simply trusted in God's grace. If we went back to Romans chapter 4, which we've looked at many weeks ago, Abraham, remember? Abraham, Father Abraham. He did nothing to inherit or to earn or merit righteousness. But he wasn't passive. He did do something. He actively, consciously, and intentionally chose to believe God out under the stars. Abraham, your nation's going to be like this as the stars for multitude. Abraham believed God. He did do something. He took God at his word. He believed. He chose to believe in the living God. What's the result? Therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace. You see, it applies right here. It applies right here. So the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. It was accounted unto him for righteousness. Righteousness. That's chapter 4 of Romans. Now back to chapter 11. Those who God had preserved as his remnant always, always had choices to make in this process. Also, those who are not of the remnant are free to enter into the blessings of God by faith. To sum it up, as I understand it, God, our God, extends his grace to all. The grace of God that appears to all people, all men. The grace of God has appeared to all people. The grace of God has appeared. It's within the context of man's choice that God preserves a remnant for himself. We cannot deny the scripture teaching choice, choice, choice. God's initiative, of course. God presents the grace of God is presented to all people. If I come to recognize that I am the guilty sinner that Christ died for, I have no righteousness of my own. And God offers, God graciously stands before me and offers this gift of righteousness, this gift of salvation. I have a choice. How long will you halt between two opinions? You see, they had a choice. I have a choice. We can't deny it from the beginning of our history in Romans chapter 3, excuse me, Genesis chapter 3. God put all the trees in the garden of every tree you may freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. 
If we had time, we're going to close now, but if we had time, we can look at how God chose the nation of Israel specifically for a purpose to bring in the Messiah. They were, they were a special treasure chosen for specific purposes. Uh, God's sovereign election of Israel was exclusive, and God's sovereign election of Israel was not exclusive. In other words, it did not mean that only Israel could believe in God or have a relationship with him. Their, their, their purpose of representing to God in the world and being a testimony shows that many outside of the nation did come. What about Rahab? What about Ruth? And on and on we can see there's a choice we have to make. Much more could be said about this beautiful chapter, but, but we, we, we just sum it up to say that when Paul considered the problem that it presented to his mind, can you imagine... He's the apostle to the Gentiles. He's got this wonderful message, the best message the world could ever hear, that a person can become right with God and not struggle on in the religion of man and just bind themselves under the heavy burdens of, of the rituals that, 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 that men place on them. But come freely and, and, and come to receive the gospel the righteousness of God, which is revealed from faith to faith, if they can only receive that gospel, they could be saved. But his nation, his, his people weren't. Why? Because of stubborn resistance. Israel has not obtained that which they seek it for because they're trying to establish their own righteousness. And it's the same true for every human being in our, in our world that looks at God's message and says, oh no, my message is better. I'm going to go about to establish my own righteousness and I pit myself against the living God. So I trust this has been a little help. We, we haven't really amply covered the whole chapter, but I've come to appreciate myself <clears throat> this chapter a little better with all the points, although we didn't have time to cover all of them perhaps tonight in our small groups. We invite everyone back. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you <clears throat> for these words that the Apostle Paul has written that bring us into the knowledge of your plan. What a marvelous plan, O oh God. Then all Israel shall be saved. All believing Israel will turn. They will, they will, uh, uh, they will look on him whom they pierced, we read in the prophets, and turn in faith to the Savior, a nation born in a day. We thank you, O oh God, for such a message as this. And we thank you for every child of God here this morning that knows the joy of sins forgiven, has received the, the, the grace of God. And, 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 and we think of those that may not. We've already established, Lord, this morning that it's possible to be religious but not right with God. May that not be the portion of any that, that leave here this morning, we pray. And thanking you above all for the Savior, we want to honor and exalt him. In his name we pray. Amen.